Good morning, Sharon. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for waking me up so early in the day. <laughs> I don't usually get up this early. I try not to. Anymore. It's our pleasure to have people suffer alongside <laughs> yes. us. Yes, we love it. Oh, man. Get all oh, our okay, friends to have like panda eyes together with us. Yes, right? oh, exactly. God. Exactly. We all like to age at the same time. <laughs> anyway, shall we begin? Yeah. Right. Okay. The first up for discussion today. Now, the Education Ministry will not hastily order the closure of schools. Um, and the minister's said that schools where positive um, COVID-19 cases have been detected will only be closed after a risk analysis and assessment has been conducted. Now, Malaysians in general have all been asking the sort of same questions on social media. Entertainment outlets and parliament are not allowed to operate, mm. but our children are allowed to go back into school. So, Sharad, in your opinion, what was the rationale behind this decision? It's very hard for me to put myself in the mind of government. I, I think that's a monumentous task. So I'm going to not try and figure out why they've done it. Because, you know, what was very interesting was that we closed the schools pretty fast and we've kept them closed for almost a year. And that's been, I think, extraordinarily damaging. In other countries, you might be aware that um, there was this principle, you know, schools of the uh, last to close and first to open because of the consequence, I think, on children. And I think this idea that we need to close the schools uh, to protect children is slightly mistaken. Children are not the vulnerable in this mm. scenario of the pandemic. Mm. It's really people. So we're talking about protecting teachers and then by extension, protecting parents, uh, you know, through because children might bring back an infection. Yes. Children are mm. themselves... I think mistakenly seen as the object of this uh, policy that we're going to protect children. Now, the recent decision is interesting because now that representatives saying, well, you know, there were 16 cases in that school, why isn't it closed? Mm -hmm. I actually think perhaps the recalibration of the response to school closures is a good one, meaning don't panic and be very targeted in your response. We've had a year of panic. Mm. And and very blunt tools being used, the public health response. So, yeah, I kind of think that, yeah, this is not necessarily a bad thing to be hesitant about closing schools quickly just because mm. there are you know, cases in that particular yeah. Sure, the transport ministers proposed that the road tax renewal period for private vehicles be extended for another two months from uh, March 31st. With more and more cars out there on the streets now, how will this extension be vital for private vehicle owners? Can I confess something? I don't drive. I've never <laughs> I, I don't know what road tax looks like. <laughs> you know. So um, let me just say that um, what's interesting about some of the policies that we've had over the year, though, uh, this I think is in the class of a deferral, right, or an extension so that maybe the administrative reasons why this cannot be done as fast uh, as it was done in the past and therefore that people need more time. So, I mean, all that is great, but maybe in a minor sense, and I'm not quite sure what the numbers are, this will be a shortfall for government in terms of revenue because after all, it's a tax, right? So if you defer people paying the tax, you, you don't have so much money. I wonder how much uh, compliance there is already. So I'm assuming most people pay their taxes, uh, road tax on time, because if you get stopped and they check the date and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a much more crime, obvi right? obvious crime to yeah. sort of not, you know, get away with. I guess any deferral is two sides to it. One is that if you really are in a pinch, and I don't know what how much people are paying on an annual basis, but if you really... You know, if finances mm. are so tight that you that foregoing your road tax 
will have an, a real positive and significant impact on your finances, your bot- your personal bottom line. Right. Well, then it's going to be good. But if, if it doesn't, then why, right? So, uh, you know, I'm sure there were, you know, literally dozens, uh, thousands of people who say deferred their housing loan when they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And then they thought, oh, you know, uh, this would be great, you know. But actually you pay. At the end of the day, you pay. And sometimes you pay more because you've deferred something. Yeah. And I think in terms of housing loans, that was a really bad decision on the part of, um, I count myself as part of this because of just sheer laziness. <laughs> I allowed my bank to defer my, my loan payment. And that's not, not a good thing. Individuals wishing to enter Sarawak from the peninsula, Sabah and Labuan will no longer have to undergo the COVID-19 screening test three days before traveling to the state, Mm. effective Monday. However, the individuals still need to register and undergo the mandatory 14-day quarantine in Sarawak. So what has Sarawak done differently? Well, I think when you look at the national picture, I mean, most of us are cognizant of what the federal government is doing, right? The, The two states that have had or seem to articulate a, uh, you know, a, a kind of state or territory in the case of Sarawak, specific policies are Slango and, uh, and, and Sarawak, as you said. So what are they doing right? Well, I don't know. Recently, they were, um, you know, given a pat on the back for how well their vaccination program is going. We also know that, you know, apps like MySajata collect a lot of data. How much of that data is driving evidence-based policymaking is unclear. So um, is Sarawak doing it right? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Sarawak is very, very different from the peninsula in terms of the dispersal of its population, you know. I mean, any part of Malaysia that has a densely, uh, has uh, has high density, population densities are always going to be more susceptible to infectious disease, Mm -hmm. right? Just we all pack together, of course, we spread things more. If you're in a huge state like Sarawak, and a lot of people live in rural areas, they don't spread it as much, and you know, the spread slows down significantly. Uh, so there are things that are specific to the territory of Sarawak, um, and their response uh, has been, it seems, that they need to design a program that's also attentive to their you know, special conditions. And I think this just seems, I mean, so you don't have to do the test three days, but you still have to do the two week quarantine. Okay, but who's this gonna, who's this gonna benefit? It's not gonna be yeah. benefiting people, local tourism, yeah. you, to all you do. Unless you're in a spa for those two weeks, right. which is, is the holiday. Actually, you can't be because quarantine means you're in your hotel room, so you room, can't right? even yeah, go and have out, a massage right? yeah. and stuff, so yeah. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah, it, precisely. So I'm not right. quite sure. Does, is this going to benefit the the business traveler? Right. Who is this going to benefit? Uh, it's it's one less bureaucratic hurdle, meaning you don't have to be tested before you leave, but you'll have to be tested, I guess, during that quarantine period. Is this a signal that something wonderful has happened in Sarawak? I don't know. I, I, it doesn't sound like it to me. After the country was affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, many Malaysians are hopeful that things will get better after the government unveiled the Pemerkasa Economic Stimulus Package. Now, players in small and medium enterprises, as well as those in tourism, are anticipating brighter days ahead after the $20 billion strategic program to empower the people and economy package was announced. With this new recovery stimulus package released, what are we expecting in terms of recovery? I think it comes back to uh, again this discussion that we've been having about those headlines 
the plans uh, versus the reality of rollouts, the reality of impact, and uh, you know, and also the discussion we had about the suspension of parliament and why, with the suspension of parliament, we can't have a, a much more significant package to uh, economic stimulus package, right? Because we have some, I think, statutory limitations on debt and such uh, that can only be overcome through parliament. So parliament needs to agree to uh, raise the ceiling. I believe Ideas, which is a think tank, did a very interesting analysis. So what did they do is they take these headline numbers and they say, well, how does this compose, right? What are the constituent parts of any kind of big number stimulus package? Is it deferrals? Is it the expectation that private sector would be involved? Is it, and, and such, right? 